Yes, indeed, there is, and welcome to the war. Father God, we thank you that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in and through us right now, even as it's being done and declared in heaven. Your word says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we thank you today, Father, for the revelation of your truth through the gospels, through the word of testimony given to us through your, your written word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, you died, you broke up the patterns of death and destruction set in place by the enemy, and you brought us rescue, you brought us hope, you brought us deliverance, healing, salvation, and the word of life. I thank you, Jesus, when you died on the cross, you took authority over the powers of death and sin that had enslaved us. I thank you, Jesus, you didn't wimp out, you didn't back down, you didn't change your mind, you didn't run away. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us power also the same power that you had, the resurrection power that raised you from the dead to do, uh, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead. And Father, I thank you for those who are listening today that there will be an awesome revelation of your truth that will strike uh, new hope, uh, ignite new fire and passion into them, Father God. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful. The promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper stands true. And I thank you, Lord, that you cover and keep our families and those who work for us, those who love us and pray for us, all who have sought you, Lord God, that you give them help and revelation and encouragement this day in the answers to their prayers. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Okay. Well, hey, good morning. Well, good morning. Is it a good morning already? Yes, it is. Or do you have to wait to wake up a little longer for it to be no. a really good morning? Well, well the morning. It may half be not morning already. somewhere else, but anyway, yeah, you right. know, I'm, I'm so excited about what we're going to be starting to talk about. This is one of my favorite, favorite subjects of all, as a matter of fact, and it is the what? Well, it's Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> you got that right. But no, the Gospels and the Gospel right. of Mark, and you know, we've never done this. We've never actually gone through the Bible, uh, kind of line by line and commented and gave background and and kind of share with the people what we know and how it affects us and stuff. So we're going to start with the book of Mark. What, what do you know about that book of Mark? Well, the, the gospel of Mark, you know, each each gospel portrays Jesus a little differently. Um, Matthew portrays him as, as the king, the mm-hmm. king of kings, the king of Israel. Yeah. Okay, the Messiah, the king of Israel. Uh, Luke portrays him as the son of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, John portrays him as the son of God. And of course, we're talking about, they're just emphasizing different aspects of who uh-huh. Jesus is. Mark portrays Jesus as a servant, a servant, um, a servant who would suffer. Actually, a large part of the end of the book of Mark talks about just the last few days of Jesus' life, yeah. mm-hmm. his passion, his suffering, and so yeah. forth. Yeah. But... Uh, Mark portrays Jesus as an obedient, compassionate servant, mm-hmm. as the Son of God, but he's on the move. Yeah, and Jesus the, on the Jesus move, that's for on sure. on the move. This is the, um, you know, he's busy uh, 
ministering to the it's action packed. It's yeah. action packed. It's, it's like action packed. I always tell people it's short. It's, it, this is the gospel for the attention deficit. You you t- you took my lines, but yeah, that's true. So so it's the <laughs> shortest and it's the simplest gospel. It's just boom boom boom, moving right along. Uh, with with him ministering to physical needs, spiritual needs, he's bringing teaching in there. Mm-hmm. But it's a book of action. You know, we think of the book of Acts, uh, you know, as as a book of action, which it certainly is. But this is the uh, Jesus just just moving along, one thing for another. And mm-hmm. in fact, one of the uh, most words, and and we would like this in, yeah. in the twenty first century mm-hmm. is immediately straightforward, straightway. King James, it says. Straightway. Yeah, that means right now. Suddenly, right now. I mean, he Jesus spoke the word, and immediately there was healing, uh, that sort of thing. So I think they should retitle it the Book of Action because, um, you know, you're right. And and this Mark, let's look at him for a minute. Who was Mark? Well, I did a little research. I'm sure you did too. I'll uh, and I'll tell you what I know, and then you tell me what you know. And if I don't know what you know, you tell me more, okay? (laughs) But Mark was. a cousin of Barabbas. Uh, no, Barnabas. Uh, sorry about, yeah. Not Barabbas. <laughs> Not Barabbas, right? Thanks. No. That okay. was a yeah, nice there's, correction. There's, there, there's a difference. Barnabas, who was also one, went with Paul on his some of his missionary journeys, uh, and but Mark was really a young follower of Jesus. I mean, he refers to himself at the end um, in the Garden of Gethsemane as a young uh, follower. Right, and he he's actually known as John Mark. Right. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. And so. Um, yeah, he, he said he was Barnabas's cousin, and there was there was an incident. Uh, he's a young believer. <laughs> there was an incident we want to talk about here for a little bit. Um, when uh, Barnabas and Saul, or who became Paul, it was you know Saul of Tarsus who yeah, became yeah. the Apostle Paul. They took a mark along with them to, from Jerusalem to Antioch on their first missionary journey. Now Antioch uh, became the headquarters of the church, not so much Jerusalem. They went from mm-hmm. Jerusalem to Antioch. And then uh, when they went on uh, their first missionary journey. Uh, but uh, then, w- so there's two different times Mark comes along. But on this first missionary journey, John, uh, Mark left early. Right. Went back Went back to Jerusalem. I don't know if he just got tired. He got homesick for mama. His mama was named Mary. Mm-hmm. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but there were several. Mary was a yeah, fairly common, common name, name in that day. Mm-hmm. So he he goes home, and so what happened then is that they went on the second missionary journey. Uh, Barnabas, because Barnabas, he's this big heart. It means son of encouragement. Mm-hmm. His real name was Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname, which mm-hmm. means son of consolation or son of encouragement. So he wants to take Mark along on the second missionary journey. And Paul says, <laughs> "No way." The kid deserted us before he took mm-hmm. off too early, and so they had a little disagreement. The, the sparks flew right, a little right. bit, but that actually was. But it turned out well mm-hmm. uh, because um, Mark uh, Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus, and then Paul chose Silas, and they went to Syria. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear so much about wow. Syria now, and and Cilicia. So that's. Well, and, and just there. just to, to help out of the situation with you guys who might think Mark was a, a cop-out chicken kind of kid, uh, at the end, when Paul was in his Roman pri- imprisonment, actually it was Mark who was there with him, and Paul yes. says, I need to talk to Mark, I need Mark's help here. But, so he was actually, and, you know, he was 
uh, in the inner circle, really, I mean, there were several circles. There's the intimate three, uh, Peter, James, and John, who were with Jesus. And then the next ring were the actual chosen apostles, which we don't hear a lot about some of them. We actually hear more about Mark. So Mark was in that third ring around Jesus of the very the tight-knit. I mean, he was with them in the garden. He was with them at the arrest. Uh, and so he was, you know, right there, uh, pretty tightly connected with the group. So what he's talking about in the gospel of Mark is that uh, stuff he saw, stuff he really saw. And it wasn't stuff he heard about. As a matter of fact, the gospel of Mark is the one where uh, he's the first gospel out of the shoot. And the rest of the guys, Matthew and Luke, kind of picked up, I think they used Mark as an outline, and then they kind of elaborated on the stuff that Mark was starting to say, because uh, he kind of had put the outline out there and they kind of you know, fleshed it in a little bit with more details and more of the conversations. But um, very, very likely it was Peter. It's a good possibility that Peter uh, led Mark to the Lord because we read in first Peter chapter five mm-hmm. and verse 13, uh, it says, um, she who is in Babylon elect together with you greets you. So does Mark, my son. So Peter referred to him as his son. It was not his physical son, Biological but son, very, yeah. very likely, a, you know, a son in the in the faith. So uh, Paul had Timothy as a son in the faith, for example, and then Peter had uh, Mark or John Mark. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting. He says you meant you referred to it, Marjorie, uh, at the end of his life. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, "Bring Mark." When you come, bring Mark because he is useful to me for ministry. So there was apparently uh, reconciliation. You yeah, know. and these guys kind of knew each other. Timothy knew Mark, and Mark knew uh, Peter really well. And and obviously they all had the same pretty much experience of Jesus coming into their lives and bringing the information that they were now writing and scribing to us. Um, but so you know, it was like a. So he was very intimate with the whole situation, very much aware of the details, although they were more brief. And he really does move along. He cuts, I don't know, he just cuts to the chase. He likes the action, which you can understand a young man would like. I think it's kind of funny, actually, if we can start looking at the actual book itself, the gospel. Um, The very first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, period. Okay, where is the verb in that sentence? That's not a complete sentence. This is a young man writing. He's in a hurry. He just ex- expects you to realize this is and starts the beginning of the gospel uh, of Jesus te- Christ. Was he texting? or? Uh, no, I don't think no, he was okay. But he did write a text. You know, here's a guy. You know, there's a couple of things we look at here. Here's a young man that maybe is a little unstable, maybe, you know, not so much on endurance. Uh, for some reason, why he went back to Jerusalem. Anyway, Paul didn't like it. But there was disagreement with Paul and Barnabas, but then there was reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are great men of God mm-hmm. that really love the Lord that have disagreements with quite one another, severe agreements, yeah. and they kind of split off. But, but I don't it, think it was a doctrinal issue. You know, for, with no, a lot of our disagreements today, it was it's a, it's like really doctrinal. It's like you know, policy. Disagreements. Do, do we bring them along or not? And each of them have their good reasons. Barnabas is saying, you know, oh, let's give the kid another chance. Mm-hmm. Paul is saying, eh. Well, you know, it's interesting that even after this setback in his life, whether it was he could have taken it as rejection 
from the great Paul, he, he didn't stop pursuing Jesus. He didn't stop pursuing the gospel. He didn't, he, he, he hung with them t- faithful to the end. He was, he was there with Paul when Paul was just before he died, just before yeah. he was martyred. So, so Mark, uh, you know, and, and, and this is good for us young people, even when you get a little bit of a rejection or a setback or misunderstanding or, or people correct you or whatever, he received the correction, obviously, but I don't know if that's, you know, right now we're talking about him, but let's move into what he's got to say here. Um, uh, you know, th- think about what, think about this. He says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and then as it, then as it is written in the prophets, he begins his narrative by going back to the prophets, just kind of to set up a connection, a beginning point where, where people can start to relate. This goes way back, people, right. way back to the prophets. Right. And this is the only time in Mark's gospel that he refers to the prophets. So what happens is that, so what I'm saying about Mark is he just jumps right into the gospel mm-hmm. and the ministry of John the Baptist because, you know, Luke, what does he do? He gives the background. Big genealogy. He gives the story mm-hmm. yeah. of, of Jesus' birth. Right. And Matthew gives the genealogy mm-hmm. and all that background. But Mark, we have to remember, Mark is writing primarily to Gentiles. Well, he probably doesn't care who's related to who's related to who's related. He's just not interested in, well, in, in that yet. He's too young to care. that's not his purpose. He's, right. he's writing to Gentiles. These Gentiles don't know anything about genealogies and, and but, don't but, care about Jewish genealogies for the most part. So he's just, you know, just saying, okay, here we are. But Matthew and Luke understood the importance of connecting Jesus's blood lineage back to the promises of he is, uh, you know, the the heir to the throne of David. Uh, His generational bloodline shows that from both Mary and Joseph. But we'll go to that some other day. So anyway, anyway, so you have to look at He's talking about John the Baptist. Now, John would be a really good character for Mark to start with because John is crazy. I mean, he's exciting. He's different. He's he's bold. He's he's definitely not your church type. And he's not a religious type. He's not a Pharisee. He doesn't fit in really with anybody. But but let's look at the background for just a second. Um, He's you know, you have to think of the context in which John the Baptist who Mark is talking about? John is entering into the the social the 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 circumstances of a of a generation that's almost lost its hope after four thousand years of the original promise made to Adam and Eve, um, and then renewed again to Abraham and and David and the various ones. Four thousand years, people had heard this story, um, and. You know, after 4,000 years and many generations, and it's been passed on the traditions, the, the prophecies, the words, the oral tradition, a lot of people couldn't read. They're, they're finally saying, now, this, John the Baptist saying, this is it. This is it. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Even John in Isaiah and Malachi, even John, his coming was prophesied and predicted they didn't say he was gonna you'd know him by his his camel hair and his is um his uh you know uh earthen you know attire they they didn't or you'd find him in the wilderness they didn't say any of that they just said he was coming to prepare the way of the lord but you but the people you know i mean think about it again the angels had announced the birth event of the messiah this is what they were looking for is the messiah the savior the one sent from God, um, 
the but the angels had been that was 30 some years ago the angels the excitement had died down and really not very many people i even know think no knew about that because it was meant to be quiet because it was meant to be um uh, uh protected jesus was protected by the secrecy of the event and only a few people the shepherds mary i joseph Anna in the temple, Simeon, not a lot of people knew because they had to be protected. But even that excitement, I'm sure, had kind of died away. Uh, even a lot of those who were really living at the time of Jesus and acquainted with his birth uh, and waited and died, never seeing his ministry take off. That would be like Joseph, his father, uh, and others who, who waited. I'm sure by then Zechariah was dead. Elizabeth was probably dead. Anything uh, notable or spectacular had not come out of what they thought would have been such a great event. So you have a kind of a, dis, you know, a kind of a, maybe a despair, kind of a, uh, you know, a skepticism. Um, the, the world was weary. They were worn out. They've been waiting, 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 and waiting wears you out, believe you. Believe yeah, me. Yeah. Religiously, they were beaten down. They, were, they, they, they weren't really looking for any fresh new message of hope. Um, but they were uh, they they were just kind of under the drudgery, laborious drudgery of duty, and you know bare existence of survival under the oppression of Herod and Rome and and the and the Pharisees. It was a very oppressive, full of duty, full of demands. Thou shalt not religion. It was very unedifying, and that's what John the Baptist steps into. Well, he he was certainly a a contrast, and l- lest you think that he's just some wild guy out in the wilderness mm-hmm. eating locusts and wild honey uh, and, 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 you know, with a, a leather belt and wearing camel's hair off it. He was not among Israel's best dressed, you know, but... but <laughs> For the very purpose, he's he just like a that. wild kind of crazy... He had to be a sharp, sharp, sharp contrast to the rest, don't A you very think? sharp contrast. Yeah. Well, well, but we have to take this very seriously because Zacharias prophesied mm-hmm. of, of John. He says... And you, child, this is when he was mm-hmm. baby, baby or mm-hmm. when he was just born or about to be born, right, at this time. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, mm-hmm. to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission or the forgiveness of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring or the dawn or the Messiah from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in, in and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So, yeah. He was, well, and you know, Zechariah, you know, that, that was totally right on. That prophecy was right on because, uh, and John the Baptist did everything the opposite of what, you know, the Pharisees, they were meeting in the, in the temple, the Sadducees, they had the fine robes. They walked around, pranced around, and wanted everybody to notice them. Here you have John stuck in the desert, um, you know, kind of like in this dry place. Uh, but it's interesting because Zachariah, Elizabeth and Zachariah were his parents, and Zachariah was a priest. So mm-hmm. John the Baptist comes from the priestly, priestly line. line. Yes. Yeah, and so he he wasn't a nobody, and he he, he didn't. Ha- it wasn't that he didn't have good, very good credentials. As a matter of fact, very outstanding credentials, and he could have cho- chosen that route. I would imagine to be a priest, following the footsteps of his father, he would have had that full permission and 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 privilege. But he chose a totally different route. Right. And it's, the Bible says that he was in the deserts. So right. as a young man, he was out in the deserts until the day of his, his, his appearing to mm-hmm. Israel. Well, part of that, I think, is that he had to get away 
break away yeah. so he wasn't going to be defiled by the religious spirits or of, of what was influenced going by them Influ- Either, yeah. well, defiled mm-hmm. influenced yeah. whatever so sometimes he was he was there uh he was alone with god yeah he had that great heritage but he was prepared because there was a transition coming and uh the to bring this uh gospel you know he's making the way for the gospel and the gospel like he says it, people get confused even the first word there of uh, the, the first verse of chapter 1 the gospel it's basic it's the basic story of the good news found in the mm-hmm. life ministry death and resurrection and ascension of our lord jesus christ there aren't many gospels we have a lot of false gospels today but there's one gospel mm-hmm. and he was preparing the way for for Jesus to come. Yeah. Now back in those days when the king when a king was coming to his subjects or coming through the area, they would have a messenger go ahead and say, you know, hey, the king is coming, the mm-hmm. king is coming. So there was an announcement, there was a preparation, uh and then even the people in the local communities and villages would go out and fix the roads. Mm-hmm. If there were ruts in the roads or, or mm-hmm. holes in the roads, they'd prepare the way for the king so the king's travel would be more comfortable. So this is, this is, the, this is what we're seeing here through the, John. He's preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And again, we see the strangeness of God. I mean, God picks the most obscure places, you know, a cave for Jesus' son to be born in, uh, in the hills of Bethlehem, you know, nestled amongst the shepherds. And then he picks a desert for John the Baptist to start his ministry. Totally not what you'd think. You, you'd think, you know, maybe a coliseum, a stadium, you know, a big jumbotrons, you know, something to give people some idea that there's some big deal going on out there. But notice he starts out in the wilderness. And I don't know how people first... He probably just started by talking to one or two people who got excited. They, the, the revelation hit them. They got excited about something new, some different message. It wasn't the same old, same old. It wasn't, you know, the the, the religious duties and demands. Uh, and, and it wasn't. He wasn't preaching a uh, a self help kind of message or personal motivation. Uh, you know, he was doing having conversations with people about their commitment, about their sp- spiritual condition. And so we see God choosing this hot, sticky, desert, lonely, dry, um, you know, not a place people would feel real comfortable, hot, sticky, dry. You know, it's not a a nice, comfortable place to to start a meeting, you know. So it was like, uh, and John, according to what we understand, he was probably about 30.5, 30 and a half years, 30 and a half when he started his ministry, because we know that Jesus was 30 when he started his. And we know John the Baptist was six months mm-hmm. older than Jesus. And we know that's kind of interesting as we kind of try to figure out, well, how did these guys know each other? Um, because we're talking about, we'll get to that in a minute, but it, they did know each other. They were actually related to one another uh, because we talk, it talks about Mary going to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, right. Elizabeth being the mother of John. And when Mary walked in the room, John in the womb of Elizabeth uh, leapt for joy, filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So these these two in 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 utero babies met each other, uh, and there was a big uh, recognition of one another. And so they did know each other. And uh, but going back to what you're talking about, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What was he saying? 
How do you do this? How do you make straight the way of the Lord? How do you get excited? How do you get ready for this? Well, John gave them an, uh, an, an instrument, a way to demonstrate their repentance. He says in verse four, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a gospel of repentance for the remission of sins. A repentance uh, and, and baptism, kind of combining the two. Uh, and, and, you know, repentance means to change your mind. Stop you know, stop. Think of what you're doing. Change your mind. Turn around. Repent. Change your mind. Go in the opposite direction. So the baptism he in the wilderness was for the remission of sins. So he wasn't. He was talking to them about preparing their own personal hearts for the coming of the king. Not so much the roads and the situations there, but um, and in in the book of Acts we have a very interesting comment where where um, he came preaching that gospel of repentance, and, and Peter says it too. He says Acts two thirty eight. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So maybe uh, Mark got that that from John got that and gave it, and Mark got it from John and and Peter. They all were saying the same thing that you and you shall um, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're all talking, you know. Even John, as we go on to uh, him, he says he baptizing, um, and and um, those coming around him. He preached and he promised, I indeed, he said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will, who's coming, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we have Peter, we have John and Mark recording it, how that there was a new baptism coming of repentance uh, and, and conversion, um, changing for the remission of sins, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. The, you know, the word baptize comes from a word that means to dip or immerse. And so mm-hmm. baptism is really, it's like a sacred rite that signifies purification, initiation, or, or identification of an individual with a leader, group, or teaching. So John's baptism was different from Christian baptism. It was not, you know, okay, you're saved because you're baptized. You know, there's a there's, there's a that, lot of, there's that, like lot that, of that, yeah. that doctrine about that today. If you're If you were baptized, you were, you're saved. But John's baptism was to prepare uh, his followers to receive the message of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Right. So well, you the know, people in- that were following John, mm-hmm. see, John's baptism didn't save anybody, but pointed them to the forgiveness of sins that God was about to provide through repentance and faith. And the one who is coming after I think John. faith is a key word here because Peter, you know, he takes off on that. We, we just read where he said, repent, repent. Peter said, repent and be baptized. So we've got that word repent in there, which is kind of an interesting situation because a baby, an infant who's being baptized is really being dedicated because there's no way they can verbally or any other way repent of anything because they're not even aware of what's going on. So a lot of people who are baptizing their children as infants are really dedicating them, which is awesome. You're dedicating them to the Lord and you're declaring that, you know, preparing the way for them to receive the revelation so they can repent. But Peter goes on in Acts 2 to say uh, he he exhorted them in that same conversation because this is his big sermon where the 3,000 were saved. He says he exhorted them to be saved from this perverse generation. And I think that's exactly what John the Baptist is saying too. Be saved, be set apart, um, be uh, (laughs) protected, saved, you know, extracted from this perverse generation. And again, if you stop and think about the texture and the nature of what Jesus came and was born into and brought into that, that point in time where there was all kinds of, the people had already, you know, um, grown weary and they were, you know, needed to repent. They needed to be refreshed. They needed to 
make a fresh statement for themselves as to who Christ was. Who is this man that we're going to just meet him soon? What are we going to do with this? Are we going to believe this is the Messiah? Are we going to change our minds? Are we going to wake up? Um, it's really repentance means to turn away from the lies, the indoctrinations of this perverse generation. That's change your mind. That's really what they're saying. Um, let go of the doubt. These people were in doubt. They were in shame. There was anger had built up guilt, for, you know, bitterness, um, even I'm sure hostility and skepticism, you know, towards God. So he was trying to saying, uh, surrender your re- re- reservations and believe, receive, allow your hope to be revived. This is a lot of people, you know, they get stuck in this hopeless, despairing, uh, kick the stone in front of you, kind of walk down the path of life, you know, with your eyes on the ground, never giving, uh, you know, really getting engaged in their own personal lives because too many times they have already been beaten down and they've been put in their corner and they've been rejected. So they're not ready to get up and try again. So he says, um, but he's bringing a message of the beginning of a message of hope, love, reconciliation with your creator. You know, I, I just have to stop and think though, you know, how would John the Baptist have been received today? What do you think would have happened if he would have oh, showed up in somebody's desert somewhere? He, 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 would, he would not be accepted. I mean, he is certainly Even not politically not correct. He would not be... Uh, he would not make a very good guest speaker in a mega church <laughs> or any church these Especially days. Especially if they had a dress code, right? For the most part, yeah. All right. Well, now... So God really isn't into all these little things that we think are so important like you know how you look dress codes you know protocol etc but you know can i just say something if john would have been born today and came on on the scene today look what he would have to work with you know in those days the people were tired and weary and worn out and afraid and corralled and under the the thumb of rome and their their own religious political leaders but today you know people are so hardened um they're they're past any kind of hope of wanting to change. The people today, really, they have outright, blatantly, blasphemously rejected their creator, I believe, uh, because they're offended. There, are, there's such a group, there is a group of people out there, actually, not the followers of Jesus Christ, but there is a, a large portion of, especially Western society, uh, that ha- are actually offended because they, have, they were created um, uh, by someone else other than themselves. Uh, when you can't originate your own origin, you're not God. And yet that's their goal is to be their own God. So you have to, what are you going to do with the fact that you did not call yourself into existence? And they become offended. So this is what we, John would have had to face today. A group that's totally turned off, alienated, offended at, at being in such a position of being su- at such a born, at such a subservient level um, as to not having the power to bring themselves forth. And I'm probably annoyed that this God had been so presumptuous as to uh, dictate their um, d- and determine their gender, their nationality, their um, personal appearance without their permission. This is the arrogance that we see today out there. So John would have to come into this arrogant, uh, ignorant, ungrateful, rebellious world um, really God-haters. These people that John talked to were not God-haters. They were just simply a little weary, worn out, and hadn't really been clearly instructed. There'd been no real message of any importance since for 400 years. It'd been kind of quiet since the birth of Jesus, and that they probably hadn't even heard of either. Right. Another thing, too, you know, in our day, you think of it, 
if if we say, well, could we believe in evolution that we evolved from some little one-celled amoeba in a primordial slime, but we've evolved to the point where we think we are God. Mm-hmm. We deny the existence of God. We deny creation by a, a, a loving, just, all-powerful God. Yet we think we have evolved from the slime, and we think we're gods. Mm-hmm. You know, we are God, and uh, it, it's it's ridiculous. Well, it's, what do you think? Can of, I say too that you know, just as a kind of a comment to what you just said, that you know, Jesus Christ. You know, we even date our calendars according to A.D., B.C. I think they've changed it now, but. You know, the, the cross stands at that point of marking time. Um, it's, the, it's the apex. It's the, it's the pinnacle. Uh, it's the pivotal point. But, and so the generations before the cross were waiting. The generations after the cross are basically rebelling and rejecting. And so the, the hostilities now are completely different. And since Jesus came into the world, the whole nature of spiritual warfare, the whole temperature of the water, has heated up because even when we see, as we see in the gospels, the demons, the demons are saying, you've come before your time. What are you doing here? Uh, Jesus knew about them. He told them to be quiet because they knew who he was. We'll see that a little bit later in Mark. But so the the whole nature of this revelation, uh, the coming of the king, the coming of the Messiah was, was in a, a, a kind of a world where there was a lot of weariness, curiosity, uh, willing to be encouraged obviously, willing to go back to the old story, willing to believe that their father's fathers had carried down this true prophecy and it wasn't a myth or a legend or a fairy tale, but it was really true. They still believed it was true. Um, and, and so they were in a line of faith already, believing that this was going to happen. Uh, when you bring the message today, people, the line has been broken. The line don't of faith has foundation. been broken. They don't have the foundation. The line right. of faith passed down from father to son to, to et cetera, is is been broken and so the people you start with a broken there is no faith there is no expectation there is no they've been so indoctrinated programmed and and, and seduced deceived uh, shut down cut off that they can't even really relate to any of this anymore unless there is a revelation of the holy spirit that comes to spark in them the the hunger for life and god and truth well, it's, when you, you think about this, you have people. It says, verse 5 of Mark chapter 1, Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Yeah. So it's like, can you imagine today say, okay, what you know what? we got to get our act together. We've got to get leaving, this right. They're yeah. leaving the capital city. They're leaving their villages, their towns, their countryside to go out into the wilderness or to, the to, rural. Confi- to yeah. confess their sins. And isn't that Who interesting? Who would do that today? How embarrassing. How shaming. So, Who okay, do you think let, you are to tell d- me I have sin or that I need right. to confess them? It's just that arrogant, rebellious attitude. And we don't even see that in the church today. I know we, we've been saved many years, you know, decades really. Um, and, and when we got saved... You know, we got saved in a mess. It wasn't an easy way to sort. It wasn't easy to sort things out because there was a lot of, uh, you know, error in the messages that were coming our way. But one of the things that was very pure and good and holy and clean and true was that the genuine hunger of the people around us were getting saved with us. We were part of a hippie commune, um, kind of observers, but whatever, friends of. And the, 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 the innocence and the willingness of these drug using back in the day, they were the ones who were using the, the marijuana, the opiates, the, the, you know, 
rebelling. They were willing, softened, their hearts were softened, to confess their sins right. to one another. They would stand up in church in the aisle and confess their sins. And you know what? When they did that, there were marvelous healings. The power of God came. There was such an anointing, such joy came. And nowadays, there's no time to confess sins. No one really dares confess their sins. Um, There's not real genuine repentance. You just come and go along with us for this hour or two. We'll sit here. We'll worship. We'll cram something down your throat. We'll take a big offering. We'll feed you donuts in in the hallway on the way out. And that'll be it. You know, uh, that is so far from what we really, the reality of the wilderness, the desert, repenting, confessing your sins. I don't believe there's going to be a real move of God anywhere on the planet, especially in this country, unless there's a real confession of sin, a repentance and a confession, a turning away and a, a, a acknowledging that you believed a lie, that you were hooked into a, a selfish, narcissistic, wrong gospel, if you had a gospel at all, and confess your sins of unbelief or fear or doubt or or malicious intent or whatever those things are. Repent, but repentance means to confess. Jesus, there's two things you have to do to get free from sin. Repent and confess. Another thing, too, back in those days when there was that confession of sin, Mm -hmm. it was not, it was nothing forced. It wasn't just people trying to, you know, just, shock somebody with what they did or what they thought or whatever mm-hmm. but there was no shame in it because people were confessing and James says what does James say James chapter 5 confess your faults one to another and pray right. for one another that you may be healed that's what was going on mm-hmm. we prayed for one another we did not reject one another oh it, w- it wasn't gossiped about oh did you hear what brother so-and-so did or sister so-and-so you know, and it was not on, we didn't have Facebook. Mm-hmm. Now it would be on Facebook and it would be all over. And it would just, you know, it's You know, it's kind of ridiculous. interesting, this confessing of sin. Um, you know, I think we think of it as, well, you have to admit you're wrong. And nobody wants to admit they're wrong. I mean, nobody wants to admit that they've been tricked, lied to, deceived, or lived half their life or most of their life in an in error or in a lie. And it's not saying... Well, why you have to ask yourself, well, why these two things? Why would God, why? You have a, you know, the critical first statements of the return, the preparation for the return or the coming of Jesus Christ on the scene. Why in the world would God tell John to tell them to repent? I mean, you've got to ask that question. Um, the baptism of repentance and the remission of sins. Why would the Father be so interested in that being the number one highlight main point of the message and not just the first day of the preaching, every day repent for their missions. Because you have to understand, it, it really goes deep. It really goes deep fast because it's all about whose report are you going to believe. The whole Bible, everything from Abraham to Moses to, to Adam, it's all about whose report are you going to believe. Who are you going to re- believe? Now, now, obviously, with that statement and knowing that situation, there have to be more than one making a report. There have to be more than one option here. And so the option to mm-hmm. believe the world, how it looks, the God of this world, how he runs it, what he says, how, how we feel, how we're enticed, seduced, deceived, whatever. God the Father is saying, John, 
tell them to change their mind, to get out of that agreement, to cancel out that agreement without fear, sin, because sin is only the evidence of the lie. Sin is the fruit that, that exposes that, 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 uh, you know, it's the symptom of the lie because the lie, you first believe a lie. You first believe what Eve did. You first believe a lie and you believe, you don't believe it's a lie though. You believe it's okay. You believe it's the truth. You believe it's good. You believe, you know, that, that fruit on that tree was okay to look at, it was beautiful to look at. It, it didn't seem harmful or dangerous and it would make her wise because it was off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So she wanted, her desire was to be wise, to want to maybe know what God knew because if she knew what God knew what was on that tree, she'd be more like God. And, and there's nothing so horrible about wanting to be more like God or to be wise. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to cry out for wisdom. But the point is that Satan was offering this to her for, to, to comfort, satisfy her desire to know God. Satan will always offer you something that looks like what you want, looks like what you're hungry for, just like the, the fisherman, the hook and the fish. He's always baiting the, the, the hook to look like what that fish is going to want to eat. And the fish doesn't even think about it twice. He says, there it is. There's my breakfast. Wow. And I'm coming into an agreement with the hook and I didn't realize it. And so many times, let me just say this, that we are being deceived first. Then we're making the choice. We're deceived first. And then we believe the lie. And then we go after the, and then we do, we act on that deception and sin. And so when people say, well, it was your choice. It was your choice. It's your, you know, when you agree, well, it was my choice. You're also agreeing that then I am guilty. I, I, it's, it, that's, that's the enemy's argument against you in the court of heaven. Well, it was her choice. And, you know, with, with, um, with Eve, you know, God says, what's going on here? And before the devil could say anything, Eve answered the question to God. She said, I was deceived. You know, he, the serpent, he, he did it. He deceived me. And God didn't say, well, that's too bad. It was your choice. You notice that this becomes a very critical part of the gospel that we preach today is it's your choice. It's your fault. And then people rebel against that because it's not the correct. I mean, yes, you did make a choice. Yes, you did. But you also, Paul says, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. So there's also an element. It's the sin, he says, that dwells in me. There's also another element of everything. But when these people are called on to repent, they're called on to make a statement for themselves about you know, clearing up any misconceptions, misunderstandings, any uh, false agreements by saying, I change my mind. I come back to prepare my heart, my, 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 my life for the receiving of the truth of the revelation of this one who is coming. So it's not just about, you know, okay, let's get on board. Let's join this group. You know, now we're going to be of this political party. You know, here's sign up. Here's your membership card. It's nothing like that. It's about getting to the heart and, and realizing as fa the father brought the message, this is the first step, people. You've got to repent and confess your sins. And that's the same message that Jesus brings. It's the same exact message to anyone today. It's, it's really what it is. Repentance is, we could say, it's the beginning of a deprogramming, right. reprogramming. Yeah, absolutely. So this is what, uh, in our lives, so God, God saw Israel they had been programmed, yes, they had been programmed to anticipate the coming of the Messiah, mm -hmm. but they had also been programmed with all kinds of uh, minutiae, little extraneous lies extraneous and duties. Things. And, yeah. They needed to be 
deprogrammed from that and reprogrammed with the kingdom of God. The whole message of Jesus was you got to get out of the old program. You got to get into the new program mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Because it's a whole different thing. Yeah. The Sermon absolutely. on the Mount. Absolutely. That is basic, basically that's the constitution of the kingdom of God right, mm-hmm. right there. It's the a, attitude, it's, the heart, the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really. So when we it come, changed everything at the, at the Sermon on the Mount, right. everything was changed. Before that, they had been told, this is the law, these are the Ten Commandments, this you is the tabernacle, said, you know, right. do this, this, and this, this is how you do this, the burnt offerings, this is how you do the sacrifices. And, you know, after, at, at some point, after they finally, they had the tabernacle, they did the sacrifices, then that all went away after a while, and, the te- and then they built a temple, uh, and then that got destroyed, and then they were t- cast off into, um, you know, all kinds of um, uh, ex- exile. It, from time to time, they were always being brought into, taken into exile because they had to be corrected. But, but the interesting thing about the law, and now you have the law on the one side, and on the other side, you have the grace, you have mercy, you have forgiveness, you have the death, the blood, the death, the cross of Jesus Christ. You have, the law was simply a placeholder. It was simply a, a means of protection that and identification that was given to God's people, the descendants of Abraham, given to them to keep them as a identified group that traveled through the wilderness, through the deserts, through the exiles, through the uh, being taken over by various nations, they kept their identity through the law. And it was very interesting that the law was, you know, basically the Ten Commandments and then the various specifics of the sacrifices, which was to foreshadow the the death of the son, the lamb sacrificed, the lamb of God sacrificed, the the sin offering on the altar, the, the, the offering for sin on the cross. It was just simply to shadow that. And, And yet Satan... Uh, he, he, God put the law in place because Satan kept coming, I believe, to God saying, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine. And there was no way for God to prove to the devil that they were not his, but God's. And so when God had set up the law, the law was given after Abraham. Abraham was given the promise. Abraham walked with God. Uh, Satan, you know, actually, Maybe that's part of the reason God gave the law was to protect the people from the severe um, challenges that Satan was making to God regarding the people. Remember Abraham who was challenged by uh, Satan and who said to God, have him kill his son. And uh, and uh, Job, who, who's, who was righteous. And Satan still had the audacity to, to challenge Job's loyalty to God by saying, let me test him. And so we see the devil was putting all this um, annoyance. He was annoying God, I suppose. Not that God was annoyed her but he kept saying i don't believe they really love you i don't believe they're really going to keep their commitments to you and so when god gave the law it was easier for god to say bug off devil because they're still obeying me they're still they're walking in my precepts they're doing what i said just leave them alone you got nothing on them so go back to your pit and so with that kind of but then the but satan saw his opportunity in the law too to make the law you know, like you said, Jerry, put the minutiae into it that, you know, you could hardly take a step to the right or left and you've break them. Do you think God really cared if they walked 50 steps or 500 steps on the Sabbath to do something? Satan made that about working. That, and, and Jesus blew that all apart in Matthew 12. And so he says, well, they said, you're working on the Sabbath by healing these people. You know, what did he do? He spoke a word and they were healed. 
and the withered man's hand was healed. He didn't work. He just he spoke. And so, but but Satan was trying to make this, you know, okay, you're breaking the Sabbath. Okay, you're you're doing this. You're doing. And so he would keep confusing the people. So now you have the the Sermon on the Mount. You have the clash between the law, which created in people a great religious uh, constriction, rigidity, legalism, duty, uh, and they thought this was all God. They thought this was God's idea. The, the law was God's idea, but Satan added so much to it and made it sound like it was God's idea so that if they broke it, now God is going to be mad at them. And so Satan could use the law actually to uh, discourage them uh, from knowing the love of God by making him believe, now God's mad at me because I broke the law. I'm guilty. It's my fault. And so Satan was so determined, so desperate to carry the law across the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And that's why we have all the do- doctrinal error today. Well, yeah, there's a place in Scripture where it says that uh, the the law and the prophets were until John. There you go. From from that point on, then yep. the kingdom of God is preached. So John is 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 a transitional. He was mm-hmm. he's, he's the point he, man. <laughs> he's kind of like a crossover between, you know, sort of like the last Old Testament prophet. And sort of like the the first, first. New Testament prophet, in a sense, mm-hmm. because this was a transitional time, moving into the kingdom of God. And his message, mm-hmm. verse 7, we have to look at that in Mark chapter 1. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. John's message was Jesus Christ. It, it was all. Yes. He, he said, you know, people were following John, uh, and 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 they said, well, you know, uh, Andrew, are you the one? Yeah. Andrew, you know, he's the one. And he said, no, you need to follow Jesus. And but he, so everything, John, the only way he had followers was to just point his followers to to Christ, to Jesus Christ. So that he, so you know, he must increase and I must decrease. Right. So this is, and really, this really needs to be our message today. Our message is Jesus Christ, and and his his kingdom, his righteousness, and so forth. So he says, this one coming after me. He says, if you think I'm a great person, he said, listen, there's there's someone coming after me. I'm not even worthy to loosen the sandal strap on their sandal. Um, so. He's the one that's coming to to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, this is there's we're talking about. There was the baptism of John, which was just basically kind of like preparing people for the forgiveness that Jesus would offer through through faith in Him. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's baptism that we as believers are baptized. We're to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, which is a basically, and not in order to be saved, but because we're saved, it's it's our it shows that we are believing, and identifying with, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. So that's very uh, that's very significant, very important. But then he's talking about baptizing you with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew, Luke, John, Acts, you know, they all talk about this 
being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's the one that uh, he says, this is the one we need to look to, the one that's going to be filling you with the Holy Spirit. This is, you know, the, the Holy Spirit was upon the prophets in the Old Testament, okay? Mm-hmm. Living, you know, coming upon them at different times and different places. Uh, when Jesus, later on, he said, the Spirit of God is coming. He shall not only be with you, but he shall be in you. So what he's talking about, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit now, or in the Holy Spirit, is for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. This is a big deal because it's the enablement Mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. uh, To The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us, leads us into all truth. It's the empowering that God gives his believers to, to bring in the message of the kingdom of God. Right. And, you know, he said, I must decrease, he must increase. I'm not worthy to unloose the straps of his sandals. And I don't want to jump ahead too far, but actually John was prepared to die. He was prepared to, yes. to be taken off the scene. He was prepared to do his job, which seems kind of harsh because here he is, he's laying down his life and we'll get to that next week where he talks about how, you know, his, his relationship with Jesus. But uh, but in 14 of Matthew, and I think Mark also talks about it later in his gospel, uh, 14.1, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his, his servants, this, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. So John's powerful message had gone, obviously, to the king's court, to the palace, and John had, um, uh, you know, disturbed Herod in his preaching of repentance, and maybe Herod had wanted to hear something, but he didn't want to hear what John was saying when John says, get rid of your wife. A little too close to home because yeah, he, yeah. he, had, he mm-hmm. had unlawfully taken his brother's wife. Right. And so John, not being politically correct. So he married his sister-in-law. Her, right. Herod married Herodias, who was yeah. Philip, his brother's wife. And so John was kind of confronting him. He said, it's not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, Herod, of course, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So even, um, I think Jesus, didn't he, at one point too, they said, where do you get your authority? And he says, well, I'll answer that if you tell me the baptism of John. Where was it from? Uh, was it from, where was it from? From God or from man. From God or from men. And they couldn't answer him because they too, John was still very popular. And they were afraid to say, well, they couldn't say it was from men because they knew that the people who were standing there listening to them had followed John and were loyal to the, the message. And and so um, they they could they didn't want to impl- implicate themselves, so they said we don't know. And then Jesus said, "Well, I'm not going to tell you either where I get my authority from." But back to Herod, so he um, he wanted to put him to death, but he was afraid. Um, but then, of course, you have the birthday situation where uh, the the witch Jezebel, uh, Herodi- the Herodian uh, Herodias, um, plotted, took advantage of her husband's narcissism. And um, his, uh, you know, haughty pride to use that opportunity to say, well, I'll give you a little dancer, anything you want. She was Herodias's daughter. I don't remember her name. She had a name. I think she did. But anyway, um, so I'll give you anything you want. And so the daughter runs back to him and says, what, what should I ask? What should I, what should I ask for? A new Porsche? What should I get? That? No, she says, just get the, the head of John the Baptist for me. And so the witch used her daughter to get this man killed and... Um, 
so it was so when Jesus heard about this, this is verse verse thirteen of of Matthew fourteen. Jesus heard about it. He departed from there by boat to a desert place by himself. But when the multitudes heard of it, they followed him on foot in cities. Isn't it interesting? Jesus's reaction. You say, well, what a coward he just took up. I think Jesus was going to mourn and grieve. I think he might have known it was going to happen. I mean, it was bound to happen. John had to be out of the way so that the focus could be on Jesus. But, you know, I, I think Jesus had to just have a moment for himself uh, to go away, to, to, to pray, to grieve, to talk to the Father, to, you know, mourn the death of his cousin John. It's interesting where in Matthew chapter 3, you know, John, before he got thrown into prison, his message, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Matthew 3, 1 and 2, he said, and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. And we realized, what what was the message of Jesus? Exactly the same. They said, repent. They're, they're on the same page. Yeah, in repent verse, yeah. for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 15 of, of Mark 1, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the exact, um, exact same message. The time is fulfilled. It is now time. The, the point has come. We've gone through 4,000 years of, of delay and hindrance and allowing, I believe, time that was given to the generation of evil, for Satan to generate his evil plots. Not that God gave him that, but that's what, you know, this, Jesus had to come in the fullness of time. He had to come at the right time. He had to come when everything was fulfilled that needed to be fulfilled for him to be able to come. And all of that, the prophetic words, um, the, the, uh, the, the rebellion, the exiles, the regathering of the Jews, um, the, even their moment, their present um, in, in capturing by Rome, everything had to be at the right place for the, 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 everything to align for this to be the time to fulfill what was prophesied and now to bring the prophecy forth. And so they have the same exact message. Right. And then, you know, John was in prison. He got thrown in prison because, you know, Herod didn't like what he, you know, yeah. the, his deal with his Well, and mostly he didn't, he wife. had a, Herod was under the thumb of his wife. I think Oh yeah. John was, was in prison, but I think Herod wasn't totally convinced he was going to kill him yet. He probably was going to Well, I think Herod kind of liked John. He had respect yeah. to him. It says he recognized that he was a holy man. Mm-hmm. But interesting, when John, when he was in prison, he heard about the works of Jesus. Jesus was out there speaking. And he, there was a time of doubt he had. He said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And they, an, they answered you know, told us, Jesus said, okay, go tell John mm-hmm. things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, and, and blessed is the, he who is not offended because of me. And he said, okay, listen, it's, it's okay. Yeah, you, you're... You he know, was saying to him, John, you got it right. You got it right. You got it right. It's happening. Yeah. It's, it's it wasn't in vain. You weren't deceived. You didn't give your life for nothing. And, and John had to, so when after John was put in prison, that's when Jesus really got out. Of Can his you imagine ministry. how powerful and committed these men were that they're going to lay down their life? Doesn't matter what. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to do God's will. We're going to follow this thing. They were so absolutely, you've got Mark, you've got John, you've got John the Baptist, you've got the disciples, you've got the the followers of Jesus, they were not like people today. They were not finicky. They were not whimsical. They were not in and out. They were not, I'm offended and I'm going to do, and I'm, you're offending me by telling me to repent. That is so offensive. You know, it's like we're a total generation of 
I don't know what. I can't even put a word there. You figure out yourself. But we, we've got these mighty, heroic men of faith and power and, and absolute knew who they were, knew where they were going, knew what they were supposed to do, and did it. And they didn't wimp out because it got hard, because nobody was, you know, was stroking them, because, because nobody was acknowledging them. They did not back down, turn around, wimp out, or get deceived. They went forward, but with the grace of it, they were rough-hewn men. They were, they were strong and tough, but they were, and simple, but they simply believed. And so we, we've got the same opportunities here to, I believe, walk in the footsteps of these kinds of people and be mighty leaders, warriors, no more wimping around. And Jesus is our, he's the captain of the host. He's the leader. He's the one who brings us to this place of confidence and and salvation, strength and commitment to see it through to the end. Lord, help us in these times, Father, to be strong in you and in the power of your might, as it says in Ephesians chapter six, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Yes. So, Lord God, I pray that in the in the midst of a a, a crooked, like Margie perverse, referred to earlier, yeah. crooked and perverse generation mm-hmm. that we're in right now, I pray that that we will bring that Stay contrasting true. message, yes, the message of Jesus, the mm-hmm. message of repentance, the message of the kingdom of God, that is just it's in a sense it's shock and awe to a culture mm-hmm. yeah. that has basically you know we've gone down the tubes enamored with our technology, enamored with our, our own views, our immorality. God, I Deceived. pray that we oh will that you just that we would stand strong and firm for you and with you in these days, in love, in grace, in power, in un- uncompromising truth. In God, Jesus and that you raise up a generation like generations like John the Baptist, generation of, of people who will be strong and faithful and steady and steadfast to see your assignment that you've given us through all the way to the end, no matter what the price is. Mm-hmm. Help us with that, Father. In Jesus' mm-hmm. name, yes. amen. And we just encourage you to join us next week. We're going to be continuing our, our trek with Jesus, walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. God bless you guys and have an awesome week. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.